On this episode, Felicia Romero, the wealthy wellness coach, joins us to discuss the biggest mistakes she sees fitness coaches making, what your first hire should be, and how much you should be spending on marketing. And as always, stay tuned to the end for where Felicia shares with you her philosophy on building her real estate legacy. Thank you and enjoy the show. Welcome to Build Your Wealth Muscle, a podcast dedicated to helping fitness entrepreneurs build wealth by saving taxes and growing their money. Each episode will break down different strategies in the areas of business, tax, and retirement planning specifically for your coaching business. Disclaimer, the topics covered in this podcast are for educational purposes only. This is not advice for your specific situation. Please consult a qualified financial or tax professional before making any changes to your financial or tax situation. Now here's your host, certified financial planner and tax advisor, Pat Darby. Hey, what's going on, everybody? We're back with another episode of Build Your Wealth Muscle. For those who are new to the show, there's two formats I basically do. First one is solo where I can go pretty deep on specific topics like finance, tax, wealth management. And the other episodes, we bring on a guest who's an expert in areas that uh, business, sales, marketing, life, anything, all the areas that, that I do not consider myself an expert at per se. Um, but today we're joined with Felicia Romero, the wealthy wellness coach. How's it going? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. I can't complain. So it's good nice. to be here. Yeah, we probably. And you're in Vegas, like you said, and it's like it's just as hot there as it is here. I'm in Arizona. Literally, like we've had like record crazy temperatures. It's been so 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 hot, so hot here. But we're used to it because I was born and raised here. What about you? I was born and raised. Well, I was born in Philly, but I spent most of my adult life in like outside New York City in Hoboken, New Jersey. Oh, that's what I was gonna say because you kind of have like that East Coast <laughs> accent a little bit. Yeah, still so it's- still lingering around. So I hate this heat, but I don't, I'll take the 115 over 15 any day. Like I don't miss the freezing cold. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. I I can visit for sure. But yeah, I would prefer heat over cold any day. Yeah. Yeah. Like right now, this is, I've only been here two years. Actually, ironically, it's two years this week. I moved here this, I signed my lease the 17th of July, 2020. But um, this is the first time I feel like we've truly had humidity since I've been here. Like this last couple of weeks, like, because I'll even notice, I'm like, wow, the, like my water bottle's like sweating in my office. It's never done that yeah. for like two years. Like we haven't had, but right now, are you having humidity right now in Phoenix? We have some bad humidity, but we also have, I don't know if Vegas has this, but we have a crazy monsoon season. And so like monsoon for us is just these like crazy summer thunderstorms. Like we had a thunderstorm the other day, crazy lightning, crazy thunder. Like you would, you feel like you're in a hurricane, like our backyard, our trees, like when we drive the next day, not only is it humid, but as we're driving, I was driving to my fitness class the next day and there were trees knocked over and people's, you know, uh, fences, like their brick fences, like destroyed by a tree that was knocked over because of the storm. And so like we get crazy storms throughout uh, July and August is it's called our monsoon season where we get dust storms, thunderstorms. So yeah, it's been, it's been a little bit more humid these days um, because of those storms. Yeah, that was one of the things that was sort of an interesting when I moved here to like the the summer in Vegas and I assume Phoenix is the same or worse is like kind of our winter 
because like yeah. it's so unbearable outside that that's when people want to stay indoors. It's kind of like the East yeah. Coast winter, July and August. So like that's that's good to know because when I first got to my complex, there's like a, a rooftop pool and a whole thing like overlooking the strip. Like and I'm like, wow, why is nobody ever here? And then I went up there with my laptop and like 20 minutes in, I was like sweating. Yeah, my okay. laptop's overheating. I'm like, that makes sense. Like this is this yeah. is not a good work environment. Yeah. What brought you out to the West Coast? What brought you out to Vegas? Um, I went the summer when I started my business. Um, I had always a bunch of people like, why are you like, why do you stay in Jersey? And a buddy of mine had just like signed up for a remote year. Have you ever heard of that? No, it's I never heard of it either until he signed up. But it's basically you pay. I think it's like at the time it was like 2000 a month and some company like these are all people who can work remote. He, he's in IT. Um, every month you're in a different part of the world. Like, so for that money, like they give you housing, a co-working space, like they take care of everything. And like, so literally you're all over the globe in 12 months. And so he was like, why do you stay in Jersey? Like, cause I was re remote before COVID. Um, COVID yeah. helped me because some of my clients that are not in the fitness space that are retirees, like now they learn zoom. So like it actually helped me out. Um, yeah. and then my former business partner at the time, he was close to retirement and he was moving to like South Carolina and he was the same thing. Like, it's like, why are you staying in Jersey? So like, all right, you know what? I'm going to head to sit San Diego to get out of the winter of Jersey and loved mm -hmm. it. Like San Diego is the best place I ever lived. Taxes mm -hmm. are horrible in California. But so I literally left Carol, um, California to move back to San Diego. Like I went back to Jersey to get all my stuff. I was there a week and then the world shut down. So I was like, crap. So I did my quarantine in Jersey and that was when like, California was constantly shutting down businesses. I was like, I cannot live here. Like this was very like literally it was like weeks. I was ready to go in San Diego. And then two, three weeks later, I was living in Vegas. Because so I was like, wow. so I was like, I want to find something because I really do like the Pacific time zone that helps me out with yeah. like the stock market times and stuff like that. Um, yeah. But I was like, so what's the close I could be on? The, so it was between you guys and Vegas. But because you guys okay. are Arizona time, I went here and had no taxes. Yeah. So. Yeah. How fun. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. I did not know that. That's cool. It's cool that, you know, that you can just you know, get up and like leave. And is your family all on the East coast? Then? Yeah. My, my mom and sister are like outside of Philly. And so, and I'm single with no kids. So it's pretty easy for me to just grab my business and yeah. up and leave. So. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's so cool. But you said you're born and raised in Phoenix. Born and raised here in Arizona. Yep. Went to Arizona State. Um, yeah. So, but I traveled quite a bit. I just have never lived anywhere else. I remember in college, I had a chance to go. So I played softball at Arizona State. And I remember going and I was going on recruiting trips in other states. I remember Texas Tech was interested in me and I you know, went to Lubbock, Texas. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I can live here. And it snows there in the winter. I was also like such a I love my home and I love the grounding that my home brings me. And I was just, I was also, you know, 18 years old, terrified <clears throat> to leave a state that I knew, terrified to leave a life that I knew. I just didn't have that sort of courage inside of me. Um, looking back, gosh, you know, definitely would have jumped on it to go live and have school and, and housing paid for for four years. You know, I would have taken that opportunity, but I just, I was scared. I was fear. Fear held me back for sure. So, um, and I have just this like grounding, like being home, being near my home. You know, I, I moved out of my house, my mom's house when I was 19, never been back. I'm 40 now, I have my own home and all those things. But after all those years, 
you know, through relationships or through, you know, starting over again or leaving relationships. One thing that I never wanted to do was move back home. You know, I wanted to figure it out, be on my own. Um, and, you know, I, but the one thing that I was going to say is I've always lived near my mom. <laughs> so I never moved back home, but I've always been like 10 minutes away, 15 minutes away, five minutes away. So, um, yeah, I just, I love my home, my home space. That's pretty cool. So you got um, a scholarship to ASU for softball? Yeah. Yeah. I played softball, um, Arizona state and been playing softball ever since I was a kid. And it was one of those things. And I had, so, I was a first child, firstborn, and I had incredible pressure on my shoulders, not only from my family, but especially my mom being Mexican, being firstborn in my family, but also the first to go to college in my family. I felt like I had this incredible, incredible amount of pressure because I was the oldest grandchild. Um, for all of my, you know, cousins coming up of like setting this precedent, setting this example. And so like, I remember I was 14, I was going, you know, finishing up my eighth grade year, going into high school and <clears throat> my mom telling me, Felicia, you, you're like, there's no, like after high school, you go to college. Like there was just no other, you know, nowadays we have so many other options, yeah. right? And don't get me wrong. I'm so grateful for my college degree. I have a master's as well grateful for like the time they're in college, but does having that degree, do I, does it make me more happy? No. Does it make me more money? Absolutely not. If anything, I, I went away from what a typical, you know, nine to five would be. I've always worked for myself. So, you know, it was one of those things where my mom telling me, Felicia, you have to go to college. Like there's, there's no choice. Like this is what you're doing after high school and you can't afford it. Like, you know, I grew up in a low socioeconomic household, one, you know, one parent couldn't afford. She's like, so you either do really well in school. And I, I did. I excelled in call in school um, or you get some sort of scholarship or you get some sort of sports scholarship, you know, and I was always very good at sports, played softball since a young age, was on all the travel teams. And so it was like, oh, OK, so I got to either have really good grades or I have to, like, get a scholarship to go, you know, I get on a team and like play this, you know, play the sport. And so that was always in my head, always. in the, And I remember my junior year wanting to just, cause I, I could feel the pressure. And for me, I've always had anxiety ever since I was a kid and I still managed my anxiety. And I remember just wanting to not do anything. Like I wanted to just give it up and not do it. And it was the moment where my mom, this is such a prime example of like letting people find their way, letting your kids find their way, or you finding your way is the moment she let off on the, this is what you have to do and constantly pushing me in that direction. The moment she let that foot off the gas pedal and kind of just let me find my way, I went back to it, you know, and did the thing and sent the, the video to, you know, Arizona state and the different colleges and, you know, ended up going to college with doing that thing. But I wonder if it would have been different if my mom would have kept forcing me to do it and pushing me to do it. Right. So, so yeah, and she means well, you know, she only wants the best for her kids, right? This is, you know, parents who I, I watched this video the other day of, of this gentleman talking and, you know, his parents basically trying to talk him out of being this entrepreneur, you know, following this dream. And it wasn't that they didn't believe in him. They were just projecting their own fears and yeah. insecurities onto their child. Right. And it's like, they probably think, gosh, I just want my kid to be stable. I want him to have a good job, him or her. I want them to be successful, but also like have 
income that they, they it's, you know, like have a stable life and yeah. entrepreneurship, as you know, cause you are, isn't always stable. Right. And so, you know, it's just projections, projections from parents of never really doing the thing or launching the business. Gosh, I am such an optimist. Sometimes I have, I believe more in my clients than they believe in themselves or sometimes, and I don't know about you, but like I see my client and like what they're doing or what they're capable of doing or like just their gifts. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you would be so good at this. Like you just have to show up and do this thing. And we put this offer together. And sometimes I feel like my clients are like, gosh, I, I, I don't know if I could do that because I I know it's possible out there. I'm such an optimist at heart. And, you know, I've had a lot of failures. My life has not always been highlight reels. But gosh, the failures has only made my drive that much deeper. And like, okay, let me rework this. I'm going to push harder. I'm going to re-strategize. I'm going to do this again. So, yeah. That's, I totally get that because one of the reasons I like is in our, in the finance industry, working with retirees is the best profit margins. Because like, there's not a lot of complexity. Get them past <laughs> Medicare and Social Security and you're pretty much good. Whereas working with young business owners, like a lot of people don't like because it it's a ton of work and mm-hmm. you can't charge them what you can charge some of the retirees. Um, but for exactly that, like it is awesome mm-hmm. teaching them to get the places they need to go faster. Whereas like the finance industry is like make a million, save a million dollars, then come talk to us. And it's like, well, it'd be a lot easier <laughs> like to have a million dollars if I didn't make a million mistakes in my 20s and 30s. Yeah, so. Right. I, I totally get that. Like seeing people that have a lot of income, but they're not able to like rein in on like, why am I spending too much? Why am I paying too much in taxes? Like it's way more mm-hmm. fulfilling than when you work with retirees. Like one, it's they're a different age group than me. And two, they come to you with most things done already. Like they're not going to be your client if they don't have enough money to retire. So it's like, um, so I, I totally get that when you see what people are capable of or helping them chisel away the mistakes they're making. And then it's like way easier for them to build assets rapidly at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, So let's dive in. What was, what got you into fitness? Because I know from your background, obviously you were playing sports all through college, but I know from doing some homework on you had your pro card two years after college. Yeah. Pretty exciting. So yeah. So for those that may not know what that is, just to give you a little context, I was an IFBB pro which essentially is, um, I think that I wasn't a bodybuilder. I was a figure competitor. So what that is, is, is I sort of like to kind of summarize it as a beauty pageant with muscle. And so <clears throat> when we think of the IFBB pro, oftentimes we think of like Arnold Schwarzenegger and the Olympia and like all of those years. I don't know if you've seen pumping iron, but it's like, you know, that's what that is. And so I got to compete and I, I, I got my pro card as an IFBB pro um, in that sort of division, that figure division. And I did that for nine years. And so, yeah, I've always been, I've always liked the challenge of what uh, a goal, you know, would bring. So like being on stage or getting to college or, or getting to that outcome, I've always been driven by that. So yeah, I was a competitor for many years, nine years until, you know, my body just couldn't do it anymore because it's a rough sport. It's not easy to do. And it's not definitely don't recommend. It's definitely not, the healthiest of things it is, you know, on the extreme side. Um, and, uh, yeah, I did that. And actually got my pro card in Vegas. Um, oh, that's awesome. So they have the USAs there. And then that's where the Olympia used to be every year. I don't know if it's going to still be there, but pandemic sort of changed a lot of things. Yeah. Um, cause there was a lot of States that, you know, weren't allowing certain things. So I think they moved it to like 
Florida or something, um, which stayed open the whole pandemic, but it's like, uh, it's totally different now, but yeah, spend a lot of years in Vegas competing and all of those things. That's very cool. And the one other mm -hmm. thing I want to highlight on from your background, fit to fat to fit. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> I reality show. I did a reality show for, for those that may not know fit to fat to fit, uh, the creator, his name is Drew Manning. And he had did an experiment on himself where he actually intentionally put on weight for his clients. Uh, cause he, he realized that, you know, his clients just kind of ended up in the same spot with a lot of yo-yo dieting or weight loss and you gain it back. And it's like, what, like, where is that disconnect? So he wanted to basically understand where his clients were coming from. And so he intentionally put on about 75 pounds and then he took it off with his clients and he wanted to really document what it was like to be in that space of, of overweight. Um, I wouldn't necessarily have called him obese, but gosh, 75 pounds is a, is a lot of weight. It's almost a hundred pounds. Right. Did, and so like, did that, impact, and then did that impact him with like loose skin and stuff or he didn't gain that much? Honestly, if you were to go back and see pictures, I mean, he definitely looked like a different person and his skin was not impacted. Wow. Like he's still, you know, if you see him today, such a lean, lean guy, his skin is thin, like, you know, his, it went right back. That's um, pretty awesome. But yeah. I imagine that there are people who definitely are uh, you know, affected by that for sure. But um, yeah, so that turned into a reality show. Uh, there were two seasons. I was on season two. And um, it was eight months of filming and I intentionally had to put on weight for my sister and then we had to gain, uh, lose it together. So I put on about 30, 35 pounds. Wow. I believe they wanted me to put on 45 pounds, but that was really difficult. My body was just not having it. I, I don't, it's, it's, I thought that it would be easy to put on that sort of weight in a short amount of time. Um, and it was incredibly difficult. Like, Oh, and I was eating a ton. And after a while, you start to actually get kind of sick. But I know that I did. But, you know, the first 10 pounds, boom, went on quickly. Sure. You know, first or two, like, boom, 10 pounds went on like that. But after that, it was a struggle to actually keep the weight on because my body just wanted, you know, to kind of sit at that like normal state. And so in order to get to that place, I had to consume a lot of food. And um, it was four months. So my body was was struggling with, with the, 35 pounds in four months. I put on, yeah, I actually was around 30, 30 pounds. What was months. your fitness regimen? Did you have to like stop working out? To there was none. Yeah. I had to adopt hurt. all of the habits of my, my sister who happened to be overweight. She was hundred pounds overweight and I had to, had to adopt all of her habits. So she wow. ate fast food every day, sometimes twice a day. She had a desk job, so she maybe did less than 500 steps a day. Like she walked from her, you know, car to her seat. She sat and did her job all day and then went home and then sat on the couch. So she never moved her body um, and she wow. ate a lot of junk food. So I had to adopt all of those habits. They even tracked me. They had me wear this tracker. And so, you know, when I wasn't putting on weight fast enough, they were like, Felicia, I see that you're walking too much. You need to settle down. So like, oh, I was like, oh my gosh, I, I'm just a naturally a person that moves yeah. around a lot. I can't even like talk with my hands a lot. I'm a fidgeter. I'm just an active person. And um, yeah, they would even, they would monitor me and say, okay, Felicia, you need to, you know, cut back your walking today because you're walking too much. Um, yeah, it was intense. I would never do it again, but I'm glad that I did. It allowed me to, again, put myself in the shoes of someone who struggles 
Um, and honestly, it's, it, it is more of a mental game than it is physical. Even though I had put on you know, 30 pounds, my stomach was bigger, everything was bigger. That wasn't the thing that impacted me the most. What impacted me the most was the mental effect of no exercise. Sure. And eating that sort of way. I was riddled with depression. Like the, the you know, we talk about motivation and naturally I'm a motivated person, but let's be honest, we're not always motivated. There was a different level of being unmotivated. It was the kind of unmotivated that like, you don't even feel, you're, you feel heavy in your skin and you feel like, it's just like a different level. I can't even explain it. And so, um, yeah, it was more the mental aspect that really affected me versus the physical. Yeah, I think I wouldn't be able to fully understand that if it wasn't for the pandemic two years ago. Like that quarantine, I didn't put on 30 pounds, but no no ability to like leave your place or exercise. Like it was like, man, this is depressing. Like people with like real mental health issues, like I don't, I hope they did okay mm -hmm. because it was brutal for people that consider themselves mentally healthy. Yeah, for sure. hundred percent. I, I mean, if it wasn't for, and I work from home already, but if it wasn't for my podcast and my clients that I have virtually and like being able to have these conversations, um, you know, it would, it, it's tough. It's really tough. Cause I, you know, I do work from home, so I am by myself a lot, but it's, I do have a lot of instances where I do get to have connection like this, which was nice and kind of, you know, kept things going. So, yeah. Yeah. Zoom was a lifesaver. <laughs> Probably, yeah. probably literally for a lot of people. Yeah, right. Um, so tell us about how you transitioned because obviously you had a fitness background and then obviously the, the competing and doing well with that. When did you transition to taking on clients and training friends and I'm assuming then strangers? Yeah, so I actually started training people before I started competing. Oh, wow. Okay. So I'm a trainer in... So to give you a little background with that, I have been, quote unquote, entrepreneur. I've never worked for anyone. I've never been an employee anywhere, except if we count you know, high school, me working at a tanning salon in the summer, but I've never really had a job. Um, so I actually, when I was in college at Arizona State and I played softball there my first two years, and then my last two years, I was really pursuing law. I was took my LSAT for law school. I you know, I was an intern at the House of Representatives my junior and senior year, which I decided to like not move on with softball and continue my academic career right. and everything I was going to do with that. And I remember I had to make money, but I also didn't want to get like a normal job where I had to ask for a certain time off or ask for a certain schedule. And at the time, my partner um, was a trainer. He was a gym manager. And he said, Felicia, you should just get certified, you know, become a trainer, you know, and we could do it right out of the house. I was like, Okay. And that's how I sort of fell into it. And I became a trainer, started obviously training, you know, family members. And then um, it just grew. I, I think, you know, there was no social media at that time either, Pat. So it's like most of the people I'm meeting are like people in the neighborhood and, yeah. you know, girls of friends and family. And it just continued to grow. And that is when I found my passion in actually helping and coaching people. And it wasn't until a couple years after that is when I started competing. So I've been a trainer or was a trainer for many, many years and then opened up the first gym at around 22, 23. And the rest was history. Over the course of 12 years, I owned three gyms, sold my last gym in 2017. And the gyms just kept getting bigger as far as like 
the type of gym that it was not necessarily bigger in size, but bigger in terms of what the dreams that I had for it. So my first gym started out at a very small 1500 square foot studio, paid a rent, you know, and had our clients and all of those things. And then, um, the second gym was a bigger gym. And then we actually brought trainers in because it was bigger and trainers could either rent from us or, um, you know, we pay them like a compensation where we would give them clients. So there was two types of business models. And then we had uh, my third gym, which was Fit Method, was all membership based. So it was all group classes. There was no on the floor of trainers training their clients. It was all membership based. So very similar to like an Orange Theory membership model or something like that. Um, And uh, yeah, so I got to dabble in that. And that one was the most fun, to be honest, having the group classes and the membership because you know, when you have a membership, you know that you have to get to a certain level of membership before you make profit. And then it was just, it was challenging, but it was a lot more fun. Um, so yeah, yeah. So those are, and then I sold that in 2017 to now then pivot into the online space. Okay. So right now, tell us what you're doing in that. Cause now you're coaching coaches for the most part, or do you still have clients that you teach fitness with? Yeah. So I actually still have a whole corporate wellness business. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Run. I love corporate wellness. I don't think I'll ever be out of that because I have such a systematic process and the way that I have it set up. So I work with three or four companies now and, you know, run all of their corporate wellness. And I have trainers that help me out with that, that do a lot of the um, virtual classes or in-person classes. Um, Not as much in-person anymore, more virtual, if anything. And then um, I'm I'm a firm believer in pivoting. So, you know, for those that are listening right now, and, you know, if you're in a, in a place where you're like, oh, my heart's just not in this anymore, you know, ask yourself a couple questions. Is it because I'm burnt out or is I'm not aligned with this business model or do I truly not enjoy working with these types of people anymore or that sort of client or do I think those are all important questions because I think you're going to have times throughout your business where you're like, I want to burn this thing down. <laughs> I don't want to do this. Anymore. Right. And so, like, oftentimes it's either you're not aligned with the right business model. Maybe you really enjoy the people that you work with, but you're so burnt out because the business model you've chose requires you to do a lot of one-on-one, right? you know, and you don't have time. There's no way to scale. Um, and then, or maybe you just truly don't enjoy that anymore. And actually this over here really lights you up and you want to do this thing. Right. And so I am a firm believer in pivoting, pivoting when you are unhappy or pivoting when your just heart's not aligned with it. And, and I'm all about, and this is where I really tapped into like that masculine versus feminine energy in business is, um, you know, the masculine side of me is like, oh, no matter what you keep the business going. Cause I mean, my fitness business did amazing. Like it was six figure, multiple six figure business, but gosh, I was just not happy anymore. And, um, you know, that, that's the masculine is the continuing to push, 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 no matter what, um, versus aligning with what truly makes you happy and where you see you living your life. Right. And this goes true with any sort of nine to five that you may have. If you're living a corporate, if you're, you know, have a corporate job and, you know, you get two weeks vacation a year and you're waiting for that retirement, but you're truly inside deeply unsatisfied and unhappy. Is it worth it to continue to do that sort of work when there's so many opportunities over here? And I'm not saying this because I don't think that everyone can be or should be or wants to be an entrepreneur. That's not what I'm saying. But sometimes it's good to reevaluate where you are in life and ask yourself those really very pivotal questions. Um, So back to the pivot. So 
couple years ago, I just got tired of talking about macros and, and helping people ultimately with weight loss, fat loss. I just didn't, my heart wasn't in that anymore. And sure. again, fitness is a huge part of my life. I am so involved in fitness. I'm even, I have some public speaking engagements this fall around health and fitness. And so, but I knew that I kept getting asked from other coaches, Felicia, how did you build your corporate wellness business? Or how did you build your online membership for, you know, your, your, your fitness business? And so I was just getting so many questions that really got me thinking. And I was like, wow, there's so many coaches out there that are survival mode, not thriving, yeah. that just scraping by or still trading time for money or doing the hustle thing where I did for years, you know, training people out of my house and going to other people's homes and finding a nearby park to train people at and um, this, you know, not a scalable system, yeah. right? But truly just doing it to survive. Yeah. And I wanted to help coaches thrive. I wanted to help coaches build a business that allotted for time freedom, income freedom, to work remotely, to be at home and with their kids, but also be able to run programs, you know, in the online space because there's so much there's so much access to the online space. And I truly feel like that's where a lot of things are going. Obviously, sure. I don't think that's going to slow down. So why not jump on board and create something for yourself that allows you to create income in that space? So that's what I'm doing now. So the primary focus is your program, the Wealthy Wellness Coach? Yeah, that's my signature program. It's a four-month business accelerator. And it's really for that beginner coach to teach you the foundational work, the how-tos, but also teaching you how to do it like literally learning from all the mistakes that I made and teaching you how to do it in a very aligned way that feels good, that, uh, that also uh, correlates with the lifestyle that you want to live. So it's a program for people that might have zero revenue and they're just starting out and they need to yeah. take that first step. Yeah. So gosh, a variety of coaches are in there. So coaches that are still trading time for money. So still doing the in-person training, but wants right. to build a virtual online program. Um, the wellness coach, the, per the coach that knows deep down in their heart, they want to do this because they've gone through an awesome transformation and they maybe, you know, took the steps to get certified or licensed or whatever. And now they're like, oh, I really want to help people with this as well. Then I have people in there that are still have, that still have a nine to five, but their true passion is helping people with their health and fitness that just need to know the steps and the how to's. Right. So um, yeah, all those types of coaches for sure, or people that want to do something like that. That's fantastic. Um, I think that's, that's really helpful because people, I think it's tough for people in the beginning to figure out well, what to do. Um, what are some of the biggest mistakes you're seeing people make either before your program or things that you're correcting with, with them, or maybe people yeah. that don't join your program, but you just see the, the mistakes. Right. For sure. Oh gosh. Some of the biggest mistakes, honestly, it's, it's, waiting to waiting for everything to be perfect, right? Or waiting for the perfect time to invest in a mentor that's going to teach you the how, right? Because I'm if you're stuck right now, and you're like, ah, really want to do this thing, but man, I'm just stuck. Oh, I hate to break it to you, but you're choosing to be stuck. You are one podcast, one resource, one book, one coach, one mentor away, one program away from being unstuck. And it's just a simple question. And or investment to learn, or you can go on YouTube right now, but the reason why, and this goes back to fitness, there are a million ways to lose weight. You go online, you can find how to lose 10 pounds, 15 pounds, but we're still an obese country, right? Why is that? There's, it's the mind, it's, it, it comes back to the mindset 
you know, the mindset and also the accountability and same thing in business without mindset, the belief that you can do it and the tenacity and the perseverance. And then without the accountability, AKA a mentor, a coach, yeah. uh, something that you're involved in, you're always going to tell yourself, gosh, it's just not the right time. Or I just don't have the tools or, Oh, that person can do it because they have a big following and I don't, I, that is not the reason. I know people with less than, you know, a thousand followers making eight to 10,000 a month in their community when their business, because they're choosing to show up and sure. solve, have a solution for the people that they work with. So, so yeah, the common mistake I see is coaches waiting for the perfect time or the right time in order to invest in themselves and their business. And there is no perfect time. It's kind of like, I think there's this like meme or quote going around. It's like, Waiting to invest in a coach for your business or a mentor for your business is like waiting to get a six pack before going to the gym, yeah. right? Trying to get in shape before signing up with the trainer. You're, you're hiring a trainer to help you get in shape, right? So it's that's the number one mistake I see. And then number two is I see so many coaches wasting time on the wrong things. And that is having a website, a logo, and also scrolling Instagram, watching what everyone else is doing and not actually creating and implementing their own thing, right? So, yeah. I, I love that because that is so true. Like it's the same issue in, like I use that analogy all the time in the finance space, like what we talked about earlier. Like don't wait mm -hmm. to have a million dollars to hire a financial person because exactly that. You don't wait to have a six pack <laughs> to hire a trainer. It makes no sense to work backwards. Um, mm -hmm. so one of the things that I'm always curious about, like your opinion outside of hiring a coach or mentor, cause I totally agree with you because what my business coach says, I forget how she phrased it, but it basically says the investment always precedes the results or the return or something like that to get people to realize, yeah, like if you want to invest in a coach, it's never, maybe not never, but it's like, you're not, you always have to pay up front, you know, the, mm -hmm. and then the results are on the back end. So outside of hiring a coach or a mentor, what do you tell your students? Like what should be their first hire or investment as an entrepreneur, like outside of the initial mentorship program? Ooh. So understanding, that's a great question. Understanding your strengths and weaknesses, right? And so doubling down on your strengths. So if you know your strengths, and this is where most coaches are sitting, they're really good at helping people with the thing. You might be really good at helping people with their financial, you know, their, their finances and things like that. I'm really good at coaching, or maybe you're really good at helping people lose weight. If that is the thing and you're really good at it. And so what are your weaknesses? And so where I see a lot of weaknesses uh, with coaches is in marketing and sales and, you know, the tech systems and processes, uh, you know, they're really good at like the behind the scenes and like the, the helping the client, but like on the front end, they're not so good at like selling their product. Right. So I would invest in the things that you're not great at. So first of all, it's making a list uh, and going all in. Okay. What am I really good at? What do I really enjoy doing? And then making a list of the things that you're not so good at and things that you probably need a little help with just marketing and sales. Is it going to help you scale your business? Yes. Are you great at it? And if you're not recognizing that and hiring someone that is, and this is why it's so important to niche in the online space. Cause right now you can go online. I can go online and I can search in the search bar, you know, fitness marketing coach. 
and you know you'll see all of the people come up that's how i found my facebook ads gal i typed in facebook ads and you know i was able to look through people and found her and i was like oh okay well this is you know i connect with her i align with her and her social media was very very niched and everything i was she was saying and speaking like i'm like oh I need this. She's speaking to me like this is my problem right now. And this is what I want help with. If you don't talk about that or you don't have them in your social media, how are, how are people going to know to hire you or to work with you? So, um, yeah, that's where I would say coaches should really double down is getting you know help with the things that you're, they're not so great at. And if you can't delegate yet or hire, you know, um, people to your team to do those things, learn it yourself you know, learn it yourself. And so doubling down on those things is what I would say. And to have a successful business, you need to have leads and you need to have clients. So if you lack in the marketing and in the sales aspect, that's where I would start. So let, let me dive deeper into that. So for people that are, let's say they're making more than 5k a month, because in that space, probably most people would agree, if you're making less than that, you might have the time to do everything yourself. Mm -hmm. But if you pass that and you get closer to 10K, what would you say percentage-wise should be spent, which percentage of their revenue should be spent on paying to help grow that, that business development, whether it's paying for organic outreach, paid ads? Like what percentage would yeah. it be at 10K versus 20K? Like, or do you have a set dollar amount? What would you yeah. recommend to coaches? I, that's a great question. So I first would... would identify, and this is where we would like take a little business audit on where you're at, identify, let's say you are making 10 grand, um, you know, writing down all your hard costs. If you do have an online business, you probably, you know, have some software that you pay for and different things like that. Obviously you're not paying for overhead or anything like that. So 10 K is where I definitely would start either thinking about investing in people to your team to help you scale. So I guess it depends on what your goals are. If you're in a time where you want to grow, you want to have a team, you want to have people that do things. Maybe it's a virtual assistant. Maybe it's someone to your team that is doing outreach or helping you on all the, um, the busy stuff where you can think sure. bigger picture in your business. I would really identify what you want that to be. So I would say for payroll or for people on your team, typically, you know, it's about 15, 20% of your monthly revenue, right? So, you know, being able to pay that out to a team member so that you can scale. I would also take some of that money, you know, and yes, pay yourself. But if you're making 10,000 a month, chances are, you know, whatever your net or gross might be, you're not going to take all of that. Right. Sure. So give yourself a percentage of what you want. Let's say in that 8,000 month, a month, you want to take, you know, 7,000 and then taking the rest of that money to divvy out to maybe someone on a team, bringing them on part time and then using the rest to invest in something that's going to help your business grow. Um, but it's really going to be a case by case, depending on what the goal of that business owner is, you know, and that might be having just a simple business audit or paying for someone's time for an hour to take a look at your business and where should you spend that time um, to grow and what should you put your you know, energy into. So I guess it really depends on um, where the business is at and where they want to go, because I see business owners that are hit, hitting 10K a month and they're getting so many leads and applications into their programs or business or engagement in, in their world that they're hitting that 10K, but it's not sustainable because they're not able to get to everyone, right? So in that case, you're probably going to want to bring on a team member to help handle all of the new leads coming in, right? And I would then absolutely 100% pay money out because that's going to allow you to grow. 
Whereas if you're hitting 10K, but it's like a struggle every month to hit that 10K and you're just not getting the leads, but you're hitting it, but you're having to really hustle and, and, and do the thing, then you probably would want to use some of that money to help bring in more leads and have some sort of system before you bring on a team member. So I hope that makes sense. No, I, I think that's perfect. Again, like I think it's, well, the way I always try to look at the business, like from a PL perspective, like the profit and loss statements, mm-hmm. like I'm always curious what the coaches recommend to give, because I think a lot of people, especially in the beginning, they can't afford for most people, bookkeepers and every people like looking at their numbers. Like they have, they have to have an idea. And I, again, I, I'm doing like a business study on this because I want people to understand like when they're barely making any money, like what should I be spending? Because don't look at the person mm-hmm. making 40K a month. Like your, your percentage of revenue for business development shouldn't look the same. So mm-hmm. I think it's super helpful yeah. for people to have like a guideline. So. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Typically the way that I work it is my team members and even with the wealthy wellness coach, like I typically pay out about 20% of my monthly revenue from the wealthy wellness coach to my team members, the coaches that are also you know, teaching on that. So, and then as I grow, they grow. Right. Um, sure. And I love that. I love being able to incentivize people and reward people, part of the team for all the hard work. So, and I, I want everyone to succeed. So as the business is growing or as that specific, you know, stream of income is growing, I know that I'm able to pay more to um, the people that help me. So, yeah. Love that. Um, yeah. Sticking with the, the theme of like the specific business questions, if you had to pick one or two metrics that you would have your coaches track in their business, whether it's financial or business, like what metrics would you recommend people track? Mm, that's a great question. Gosh. And I used to be such, I used to hate, and I, I, you probably get this a lot with business owners that you work with, but I used to hate the numbers part of it, right? I am yeah, I the creator. I love being on the front end. I love building a brand. And then when it came to numbers, I was like, Ugh. like, I never wanted to, you know, I never wanted to to get into it. But the thing is, when you are, when you are a business owner, you need to know your numbers, right? So you, I, I, you should be looking at your numbers daily, right? And so um, I guess just for simple, simple metrics, obviously knowing, um, I know for me, it's like the people that are coming into my world. So leads, I want to know, and I'm running Facebook ads now. So for me, the number one metrics are, are my Facebook ads converting into leads that then convert into sales, right? So that's the biggest thing is, you know, and if it's not, how can I change up the ad? How can I change up the wording? Because the thing is, it's all trial and error, yeah. right? When it comes to business, business is a lot of, I don't want to say throwing spaghetti at the wall because that's the wrong terminology, but it is just like doing something, trying the strategy and seeing what works and then reworking the strategy, right? And then um, knowing the difference between your 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 net and your gross, right? Knowing the difference. Some some business owners don't even know the difference between that, right? And so um, knowing how much money is going out and how much is coming in um, and being consistent with that, your residual revenue. And can you create a business model that is able to bring in that sort of income to where you don't have to constantly sell all the time? And that's yeah. where I see a lot of business owners get burnt out. They feel like they always have to be launching, always have to be selling when we can create some simple business model strategies that will keep some residual income coming in every month so that it's assured and you're not creating from a place of uh, desperation or scarcity or lack. Um, so yeah. I I think that's super important that should probably be highlighted. What do you what do you tell coaches that are trying to work on that? Like the specifically the recurring revenue side because 
like that's for people listening. If if you've not heard some of private prior episodes, like having recurring revenue is one of the best things you can do to like survive an economic downturn. Like the businesses mm-hmm. that have recurring revenue are the most recession resilient. It's like, what do you do yeah. to, so a coach is like, oh, I need to do that. Like I have none. What would you help? What would the first step for them be to implement something? Yeah, absolutely. Well, really getting down, you know, again, if we're going to get into different business models, you know, you have the residual. So the way that I break it down, I mean, it's just kind of how I break it down with my clients or with sure. what I teach. So, you know, there's four different types of um, offers. And I was specifically talking about the online space because I imagine that you work with a lot of people in the online space. So let's say you have your, um, your people's offer or your lead generation offer. This is the thing that brings people in low barrier of entry. So this is you hosting challenges. Maybe you host a masterclass or workshop. I'm hosting a workshop tomorrow. For that reason, every month I'm hosting some sort of masterclass or workshop and giving value. That's lead generation, right? Gets people to my email list and I'm able to nurture them in my email list. I may even get some sales on the masterclass because I'm going to talk about the offer that I want to talk about, right? So you have your people's offer, your free, your um, lead generation offer. Uh, You want to have something that it could also be an ebook. Maybe you give away a free downloadable, you know, maybe you give away 10 tips on um, creating, uh, resi- maybe you, maybe you create something on residual income for your people, right? Pat. Right. So like, Hey, download this thing on how to create residual income. Cause you know, people are interested in it. So you have your lead generation offer. Then you have your scalable offer. And this is something that is more of like a group program, or maybe it's like the wealthy wellness coach is a high ticket signature program. That is a group program. So I don't do any one-on-one and I charge over $5,000 for that program. It's a four-month business accelerator. So, you know, if I'm getting four people, signing up four people a month, you know, that's $20,000. And there's payment plans and things like that. Sure. $20,000 a month in sales and it just keeps rising, right? So it's like, okay, this is a scalable offer. The, the videos are recorded. People can go through this program and I don't have to be hands-on with them, right? So you want to be able to have some sort of group scalable program that doesn't, uh, have where you don't have to be on all the time or do the one-on-one. And then you have your, your freedom offer is what I call it, which is like your residual income offer. And this is going to be something like a membership or something, you know, the most common would be a membership, but it could be something like a mastermind that you want to host. That's more high level. And let's say it's a year long mastermind. And you charge a monthly fee for that year-long mastermind. You're not really coining it as a membership, but essentially it is, right, for the year. And let's say you can charge anywhere from $500 to $2,000 a month for this mastermind. And let's say you have 15 people in that mastermind. You know, if you have 15 people in that mastermind, you're charging $2,000 a month because it is high level. Maybe you host a retreat within that mastermind. That's, I don't, I can't do fast math, but $30,000 a month in residual income, right? That's amazing. But you can create it your way. It doesn't have to look like everyone else's. And so that's why I, I did the difference between like a mastermind, that's sort of membership model or an actual membership model where maybe you charge $99 a month to have them part of your monthly workouts and they get you know updated workouts every month that you're giving to the group, right? It's not customized. It's not personalized. You're not getting on one-on-one calls. You just get them into your community and man, you have, you know, 50 to 100 people, that's still residual income every single month that you know you're going to get. And it can continue to grow. Um, So these are just examples, but 
those offers, um, you know, I definitely would have those three offers as your core offers. Again, I'm all for creating one sort of one high ticket signature offer and then having your lead generation offer and some sort of residual. And then after that, you can just have fun with it. If you want to throw in a VIP day where you charge a couple grand to help people for five hours, take them from point A to point B. They don't want, you don't necessarily, they don't want to coach for months. They just want to, Hey, just teach me the how, show me how to get from point A to point B. For instance, I, I hired this Facebook gal. She charged for a VIP day, $5,000, worked with her for five hours. By the end of the five hours, I had my win, which was she put all my ads together. She did all the back end stuff for me, which is like, I would willing to pay for that time. Sure. Because it's over my head. We talked about not knowing tech earlier and that was worth it to me. Yeah. And that VIP day was a great chance for me to work with her. And I'm sure she has other offers that she has with her clients, right? She's a, she, has, she actually has an agency. Um, you can do something like that. You can do one-offs where you do a one hour consultation. Maybe you charge $200 for a one hour fitness consultation where you then provide that person with a strategy and their macros by the end of it. Right. And now they got a chance to work with you. Chances are they're going to want to learn about your three-month program or your six-month program or maybe your membership, right? The thing about entrepreneurship is it's not a quick fix. It's not a thing that's just going to make you a millionaire overnight. It's a long-term game. And for me, entrepreneurship isn't necessarily like, oh, how much money can I make? It's the relationships that you're building with these people. And it continues to grow. And you have to nurture those relationships, right? So- First off, you know, pick a business model that you really align with and possibilities are endless. I just named a couple here today, but it's literally endless on what you can do. For instance, I was in a Voxer mastermind. You know, one of my mentors did a one month long mastermind just in Voxer, just voice notes back and forth for one month. And there was like 12 ladies in there. She sold it for over $8,000, $8,000 for one month of Voxer in a mastermind. There was like you know, a dozen ladies in there. There are so many ways to make money and to impact people online. We just have to get out of our own way. We have to start thinking about all the possibilities for what's possible in our life. And we have to stop following the rules and creating our own, right? Because we can really do business however we want. Um, you know, obviously integrity and, and just keeping your word and all of those things are like cornerstones for business. Yes. But in, in how we operate our business and the business model and how we run our business and how we uh, implement our business, it, it, it really like uh, the sky's the limit with it. So, so, yeah. I think all those examples are super impactful because, again, like depending on when people listen to this, we record this, I guess, towards the end of July. So I'd say mid-July, <laughs> but towards the end of July in 2022. And right now people are worried about a recession hitting, which is probably going to happen in my opinion. But I think those sorts of things are really helpful because I'm sure people, especially if they're newer entrepreneurs, I'm sure that's that's a concern. So that's all really helpful, like ways that you can try to get revenue either creatively or uh, recurring. Mm-hmm. So this podcast obviously is for people about like building wealth, protecting wealth. So what, like you've sold multiple businesses. So that's, you're an amazing resource for this question. What's your general philosophy on building wealth and financial freedom? outside of your business? Mm, I, I love that question. I am all about legacy building. And that really comes in, in the form of uh, things that are, I, I would say, more assets. So, you know, real estate, 
for instance, you know, like if I were just to like my fiance, for instance, I got my real estate license. And so uh, I help him with real estate and he owns, he owns six properties now and they're all rented and they're all homes that are paid off. That's really that, that legacy wealth, right? That's beyond your business that, and, and honestly too, the legacy wealth is also going to come in things that don't necessarily require you to have to be on all of the time. Yeah. Right. So what can that, what, what can that be for you? Um, and there's again, so many ideas and so many ways to do that. But for me, I would say the, the, the longest, the long game form of that for me is, is real estate and, you know, of investing in real estate, having real estate, having those assets and those things like that. Do you, uh, do you like real estate all over the country or are you more sticking to Arizona? I, we like Arizona mainly because him and I, um, are currently doing an Airbnb together. So we both invested in that and we're doing that together and he owns homes on, on his own. And he's like, it's so hard because he is always thinking of the return. So like even in the house that we're in right now, I love our home and I don't want to sell it, but he's very like logical. He's like, Felicia, we should really sell this house because we'll make a huge return on it. And, um, he, we have another home that we lived in prior to this that he just renovated that we could just move into. Uh, we're, it's currently it's being renovated, so we haven't rented it out yet because um, the renters moved out and then it's now open. And he's like, we could just move back into our old house and sell the house rent. I'm like, what? I love our house, you know, but he's always like, this is going to be a huge return on investment. Like, why would we not sell this? Right. And uh, I'm more emotional yeah, where he's more logical. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I I would say we stick to more Arizona. We definitely want um, <clears throat> a home up north, like in Sedona or Flagstaff, as you know, kind of like a summer place to go to. But yeah, that's for us is is definitely real estate. I love that. Um, so you guys move like every couple of years to take advantage of the taxes. I I I well he he does he doesn't well no like he doesn't necessarily move so like in the previous house that we just lived in he was in there 17 years completely paid off beautiful home like in a desirable neighborhood um and we bought this house at the perfect time so we built we bought um right before the pandemic so in 2019 we had it built and then we moved in two months before the pandemic hit and then since then it's gone up over a million dollars i'm sure and he is like, I want to sell. Like he wants to sell so bad. And so I'm, again, I am more emotional with it, but I think for him, he definitely thinks about those things all the time. But yeah, he, 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 he takes advantage. He's very, um, he likes the, uh, the philosophy of Warren Buffett. So buy when people are fearful, right? That whole thing. So he bought most of his properties during the first big downfall. That's awesome. And he was able to scoop them up cash um, sure. as he sold stock and he, you know, was able to go in there and just purchase these homes. So he's super smart when it comes to that. Um, it's also helpful when, you know, you've been investing since you were 19 or 20 and you have these like huge stocks built up and he's like able to do those sorts of things. But um, I learned so much from him because I definitely was never a saver prior to him. I never thought about my future wealth. I never thought about you know, I never thought about those things. I was sort of like living in the day to day. Yeah. What do I need today? I was in survival mode for so long. And, you know, most of my years, I've, you know, like I said, I've owned gyms, I've done these, I've, I've had this, like this, this up and down ebb and flow of financial success, whether it's 
at one point in my life, getting my car repossessed and literally having a hundred dollars in my bank account to living in overflow and being able to make money, but never have anything to show for it, which is another money mindset thing that I really struggled with for a long time that I've had to learn to um, manage because you make money, but then if you have nothing to show, you're still kind of surviving. Like what's, what's the point of, of, of constantly making money? Like, where does that money go? And little did I know I was spending as fast as I was getting because I had this subconscious belief that it was going to be taken away in some way. Right. Or I don't, I worked through a lot of those things. I don't know if you talk about that on this podcast at all, like generational trauma, generational wealth. Um, but those are all things that I really had to learn about and, and figure out on my end, you know, but, um, I learned a lot from him and a lot of that is like, Hey, let's start you a Roth IRA. Let's do this. Like, let's start thinking about your future. And, um, and I'm so thankful for that, that I'm starting to late in the game, but, um, but yeah, I'm thankful that I have someone that is realistic and logical in that place. I, this is like a perfect time. I'm really glad you brought that up because you and I are the same age. Like I graduated college in 04. Um, and I can't emphasize enough to the younger people, like the earlier you start, like, like your husband or fiance, is it fiance, I think you said, um, like starting young is such a game changer. Like if you understand Mm -hmm. compounding interest, like he does, like starting late is completely like handicapping you is such an understatement, like on how it will compound when you're 20, 30 years in the game. and depending on when people listen to this, it's probably even more exciting to think about doing because right now, exactly you said, like with Warren Buffett, people are about to panic. Unemployment's about to go up. Like things are probably going to get ugly in this. But if you're running a business and you're doing well, like you should not join the, like the herd to panic. You should be like your fiance, like you're going to get deals and don't be stupid with it. But like, there's going to be opportunities. It's going to be at other people's expense, unfortunately, but there's going to be opportunities. Um, so right. especially young people listening, if you've not invested ever, this is the time to like learn, hire somebody. It doesn't have to be me, but like hire somebody. Get in the game because this is when things are bad is when you should be most excited to get involved. I would love to hear your thoughts on this recession because I hear such mixed reviews. And just FYI, it's 2.20 and I have a, another call at 2.30. Okay. Um, about 10 minutes. But um, I hear so many... And I love to get financial people's advice on this um, because I hear so many mixed reviews. Like I was even on, I think it was TikTok today, which I, I love TikTok. I've been, I, I love. Um, that was how I found you it. on TikTok. And then oh, I, right? and I DM'd oh, you really? on, um, yeah, I didn't, you didn't show up on my and Instagram. I found you on then TikTok, I, then look for you on Instagram. Okay. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. So I was, I, I followed this like real estate agent, tons and tons of followers, like millions of followers, but he was, you know, talking about. The recession and he doesn't believe that a recession is coming in 2022 or even in 2023 so but then i hear other people like oh no a recession's like you hear all these mixed things like i would love to hear your thoughts on it i think see people in the real estate world are more optimistic that their asset class is going to survive this and there's mm-hmm. a lot of evidence that that's probably true real estate <laughs> will probably hold better but like you're seeing it already crypto is getting crushed um, so it's had a nice week, but stock market is already down, I think, 21% for the year. Um, I could see real estate not having the negative impact, especially because it's nothing like what was 12 years ago or 14 years ago. 
because those were all garbage loans and that was obviously very negatively impactful. But I think the stock market's probably going to see another dip. Um, crypto is interesting because not only is crypto getting hurt, I was trying to have a buddy of mine who's a crypto expert come on to explain that they're doing what to crypto what happened in 08. There's basically like the derivatives of real estate, like real estate crashed, but there were so many derivatives like of real estate. That's what really triggered the collapse. Like people were betting on bets on bets that were all based on bad assets. Right. Like that right. was crypto's on the same thing, which I forget the name of the company, like a $13 billion hedge fund got wiped out because it was like mm. doing loans or something on crypto. I'm, I'm not a crypto expert, but if that's true, that is going to hurt crypto. And what I find is there's a lot of crypto people who are also real estate people. Mm. So if one of their asset classes are getting hurt. I could see that in increasing the inventory. Like I'm hoping for it. Like I'm trying to invest in properties here in Vegas. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that it crashes because I'm like, ever since I got here, I was like, I want to wait two years to buy. And it's been nothing yeah. but vertical. I'm like, come on. I think it's up like 40% since I moved here. I'm like, God damn it. But um, I personally think that it's only going to get worse just based on like the macroeconomics. Like we printed money like crazy. And if you look at all the other like for people listening, check out Ray Dalio. He's one of the most successful hedge fund managers on the planet. He's done a history of like the, he calls it like, I think the changing world order. It's like 500 years of how company or countries that were the top in the world have screwed themselves over and lost it. And the United States, like he has like this arc, of like plus five or six world powers of 500 years and how they've all like overspent, printed money, and there's this arc of when they lose it. And if you track the United States, which he's done, we're at like the bottom fifth of like the downward arc of like losing it completely. And the answer is not is usually a recession. Like to pull yourself back, usually you need a recession. And I think the problem is most politicians don't want to do that. Like who wants to be at the helm of like, hey, you know what, everyone, right. to get better, we have to make this thing worse. So it's like, doesn't it, does an inflation usually precede a recession? Um, in this case, we're in like what's called like a stagflation, which is like mm -hmm. where unemployment's increasing and we have inflation um, because typically like we'll, they'll want to raise interest rates. So like it could get bad. Like for people listening, if you've seen like your portfolio, the stock market's crashing, the fixed income market is crashing because like they're supposed to be a hedge for each other, but they're both going down right now. So yeah. real estate's the only thing that's that's sort of held up, um, but so with unemployment rising, is that like companies laying off their employees then, like just yeah, companies downsizing? Yeah, yeah. Um, especially because like as their their stocks are down and things like that. Like it's, Gosh. I'm I'm curious because like for the longest time, like you'd talk to people, like inflation was going up, everything's getting expensive, but you didn't see it really happening. Like we know that the I, I feel like I see so many people traveling. Yeah, like, like it was like a weird phenomenon that things didn't add up because like, you know, you and I aren't impacted. Inflation's annoying, but we're not impacted. But there's a lot of people that are yeah. legitimately like, well, how do I get to work and pay for groceries because my butt, my bills are $250 extra this month? Like, so yeah. that's got to have an impact. Like California, again, glad I'm not living there. Like their cure for inflation was sending out more stimulus checks to California residents, which is actually the cause of inflation. So it's like, it's 
I mean, it's just politics. Like, like they're, yeah. they want to look good, but they're making the problem worse. Um, yeah. yeah. So I know we have so, to, we have to jump, but before we, we go, tell everyone where they can find you and, uh, learn more about your business. Yeah. Um, I hang out over on Instagram quite a bit. So at Felicia Romero, um, super accessible. If you are a wellness coach and I work with other coaches as well, if you're really wanting to build a business in the online space, um, you know, and you're just not sure of the steps to do that, you can check out the wealthy wellness coach, um, or any of my other, you know, um, private one-on-one -on -one type coaching, things like that. And then I am over on TikTok, which I've been building my account for about a year, which is just my name, first name, last name. And then I also have a podcast called the High Felicia Podcast, which I've been doing for about three years now. I love it. Love this platform. Love the podcasting space. Um, yeah. So super accessible. You can find me at either one of those places. Perfect. And there'll be links to everything that Felicia just named in the show notes. So please reach out to her if you have any questions or you want to continue this conversation with her. But thank you so much for joining us. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us this week on Build Your Wealth Muscle. The links mentioned in this episode are available in the show notes. For video clips and more information on tax and retirement strategies for fitness entrepreneurs, please follow my Instagram at the Pat Darby. If you found value in this episode, please do us a favor and share with a friend. If you tag me, that'd be appreciated also. Lastly, for help implementing any of the topics discussed, please book a call. The link is also in the show notes. Thank you again for listening and have a great day.